You've just listened to an excerpt from a song by performed by Dugarjab Dashiev called Ajimni, uh, literally trans- translated as uh, My Mother, which I felt is, uh, I suppose, a fitting way to start this podcast in the wake of uh, Habib Nurmagomedov announcing his retirement, for the sake of his mother, mostly. It was something he said uh, in the post-fight interview, immediately after the fight, and uh, he said that he said this in Russian, and it went untranslated, as far as uh, as far as I know. But the essence of what he said can be boiled down to uh, cherish the time you have left with your parents while you still have it, cherish the moments you spend with your parents. Because my mum is the only one I have left now, and I'd rather spend my time with her rather than fight. I think it's a sentiment all of us can share, and it's a sentiment I can respect. And also, the premier reason why I believe his retirement is not going to be another one of those MMA retirement that uh, last for all of 15 minutes in, on the average... When you're caught up in the day-to-day routine of modernity, with social media, with jobs, with uh, things happening around the world, things happening in your life, your general problems, you tend to forget that we're not here forever. And I suppose, in a sense, last uh, last night's event was a, a bit of a memento mori for me, personally. So, in essence, the only thing I can say for now is that thank you 
Thank you, Abdul Manap Magomedovich, and thank you, Khabib Abdul Manapovich, for reminding me of this. Welcome to the Fight Sides Tengri Dome, episode 5. I'm your host, Iggy, and today we're going to talk about last night's event, break down the fights, or at least the two main ones, talk about some of the implications, uh, some cultural stuff as well, examine what went wrong for Justin, and of course examine what exactly Habib did in order to win the fight, in such a dominant fashion. I'm not going to blabber on about Habib's mindset, or the implications of uh, his father's death, and the effect it might have had on the fight, because honestly, MMA media by and large had demonstrated overall that they absolutely lack tact, empathy, and that they are actually completely inept at uh, talking about the fights themselves and covering fights, covering fighters, and that they'd rather focus on all the outside, tangential live drama that will get them clicks. Right, let's get it on. I'm just going to jump straight into the main event. We could talk about the other stuff later. As uh, you might have guessed by now, Habib has secured an amazingly dominant win. Yet another one in an incredible series of astonishingly dominant wins, while also showing what an underappreciated tactician he actually is. Habib, as he is wont to do, has shown amazing grappling, that goes without saying, markedly improved composure on the feet, absolutely fearless, relentless pressure, and whatever simple strategic adjustment he had made had enabled him to completely ruin Gage's composure and footwork to such an extent that Gage was essentially completely knackered by the beginning of uh, the second round. What's especially ironic about this victory is that uh, many people, including me, uh, had been giving Gagey the best shot at actually beating Habib uh, because of his uh, because of his older style and uh, presumed that despite the fact that he's changed it that despite the fact that he's turned into this distance-based counterpuncher the pressure threat is still there. Habib has shown a certain susceptibility to pressure in some of his earlier fights, and as my colleagues had pointed out uh, earlier in some of their uh, early picks, pre-fight predictions, and just in general conversation, Justin's style is uh, a bit, uh, or at least used to be, foolproof. Like, he would just push past everything, say, fuck it, and just go nuts on his opponents. It's one of the more consistent uh, ways to get finishes, alongside counterpunching, of course, and Gagey has shown to be incredibly adept at both. So, as our staff member and uh, frequent podcast guest, podcast contributor, Haxerized had pointed out in uh, in our predictions uh, piece that we've released earlier this week, there are two wolves inside of Gagey. One is a balls-to-the-wall pressure brawler, and the other is a counterpuncher. And one of the surest paths to victory for Gagey would be to combine the two demonstrate time and measure, and pressure Habib to defense, and punish his entries, and time him with solid counters. 
Khabib's response, uh, in a sense, was essentially him out-gaging Gagey, or at least earlier Gagey. He decided to just uh, push past most of Gagey's counters, and uh, some of them were immensely damaging, and would have knocked out a lesser fighter 50 times in a row by now. By now, I mean, of course, the end of the second round. Khabib's relentless pressure didn't give Gagey any moment to breathe, any moment to set his feet correctly. It made him anxious, and as such, he was much less offensively potent than he would normally be. If you zoom out a little, and when you look at the fight side's body of work, a lot of it is uh, dedicated to myth-busting and uh, countering certain uh, prevalent narratives that permeate combat sports as a whole. A lot of them have to do with notions of uh, uh, undefeated fighters being unbeatable, or there being levels to this shit, as uh, the old parlance uh, tends to go. So you may notice a certain trend where uh, a lot of the fight side staff would uh, prefer, or at least pick a fighter that shows ability to adjust to beat the fighter who generally just does his thing. I mean, that's just, that's just how generally these uh, title fights go. Like, uh, an incredibly dominant champion will reign for a certain time, and then there, will, there would come another fighter that uh, has uh, uh, tailored his entire approach to countering the specific uh, gaps in his opponent's, in the champion's uh, game. Or he would completely fail in that respect and uh, just sort of shit the bed. The point I'm trying to make is that a lot of title fights tend to be blowouts, which is something we had seen very recently with the way Israel Adesanya dismantled Paulo Costa, is that generally blowouts in title fights uh, have to do with one side either not thinking about the fight or coming up with the wrong game plan or implementing it incorrectly or at least unsuccessfully. Of course, as always, nuance... Nuances everything in these things. Gage came in with a bit of a wonky approach, because generally, uh, the general consensus is that going on the back foot against Habib is uh, giving... Uh, by going on the back foot, you're playing into Khabib's game. Because his, uh, his game revolves around cage wrestling, and that's, uh, the, the, there used to be a notion before this fight that... Uh, Habib is almost entirely, exclusively reliant on finishing takedowns along the cage, and that he's uh, rendered offensively impotent in open space. And it's a bit of an over-exaggeration. Habib certainly is able uh, to finish takedowns in open space, if with a bit of effort. And it's simply not something he's done all that often. And in this case, he's made an adjustment specifically for this fight, because he was well aware that Gagey is going to try his damnedest to stay off the fence. So, on the fight finishing takedown, he went for a, for a takedown and, and just ran the corner on it. Like, uh, because of the way Habib generally uh, fights his fights, is that he goes to the same uh, tools he uses in every fight all, over and over again. So you sort of get, get the sense that he's simply doing... Uh, the same thing over and over again, without really adjusting. The truth is that he does make adjustments, but uh, they are very subtle. 
Habib overall is just uh, generally a proof, uh, a living proof of the concept that uh, knowing what you're good at and sticking to it no matter what is still the surest path to victory in MMA and most any combat sports generally. Whatever small incremental adjustments he makes always serve to emphasize his overall strengths and they don't try and, like, uh, magic a new skill set out of his ass. All the tools that, he's, uh, that he demonstrated against Gagey in this fight were generally all of the things that he usually does, they were just refined. The jab, the volume jab that he generally just throws out there to kind of obscure his opponent's vision and give, uh, give them some static to work with, was on point in this fight. The jab made Gagey very jittery. And the fact that Gagey came in uh, in a more of a crouch uh, for this fight, which uh, sort of impeded his uh, mobility, sort of uh, opened up uh, Gagey for the jab. It's almost a less... Uh, it's more of a subdued version of what uh, Ally Akunta has done against uh, Habib, which was, if you remember, to come in uh, for the fight with in a literal Jean-Claude Van Damme split, and the moment I saw it, it was I just uh, couldn't help but blurt out that yeah, he stands too big for his goddamn feet. 2014 Tumblr gang stand up. But yeah, the jab has made hay for uh, Habib in this fight. It made Justin jittery. It made Justin make some very energy inefficient movements. And the fact that he was constantly in his face with it made Gagey. Uh, want to circle out constantly. It was still a bit of a sort of a, uh, a reminder of that uh, Barboza fight in which Habib just basically literally ran after Barboza. And there was a bit of that, but there was also the way that Habib went about pursuing Gagey was more measured. He didn't just run at him. He used, he used the jab and he used the usual his usual uh, that a little hop knee that he pursues fighters with along the cage was actually used in some very select moments and it served a clear purpose of uh, making Gagey stand more upright. The same with the weird sort of like kind of throwaway front kicks that he threw against Gagey. A couple of them were to the body, which was very nice. <laughs> and there was a very funny moment where uh, Habib jabbed and then Habib immediately hit him with a front kick to the body and just sort of made this sort of like, ooh, sort of face. With the relentless pace that Habib pushes sometimes, you kind of, uh, yeah, you tend to not notice these these little things. That the fact that Habib is actually a very emotionally expressive fighter. In general, kind of very funny fighter when you look at this, uh, when you look at uh, the way he mean mugs sometimes and... Uh, keeps talking to people while fighting. Just something that uh, serves to further humanize him for me and make him more relatable. Because to a lot of people, he's this uh, sort of a mythical figure with an unscrutable, unapproachable aura. When in truth, the man does have a certain sense of humor about himself, <laughs> about his profession. But yeah, back to the pressure. Uh, Habib has put himself in some very dangerous situation to actually get there, get where he where he wants. But he uh, he was, but he took this risk willingly. He knew that uh, 
he, he he's bound to get hit. Gage is just too sharp of too sharp of a counter puncher uh, for Khabib to not get hit. So Khabib looked absolutely fearless in in this fight, just absolutely relentless. Zero respect for uh, Gage's power. And this is what impressed me so much about this performance from Khabib. Generally, the usual criticism people have against Khabib, particularly uh, we at the fight side, uh, is that, well, aside from being janky on the feet, he kind of uh, looks uncomposed. He looks like he always makes this uh, startled face whenever someone unloads on him, which is evident in the uh, Michael Johnson fight and the Poirier fight. Uh, he kind of goes like, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> and just backs away and kind of le- leans back with the with this uh, strange, like, elbowy guard he has. Just kind of not quite a, a shoulder roll guard and not quite a cross-arm block. Uh, and not quite the hillbilly shoulder roll that uh, Dustin Poirier employs. But uh, just generally puts out his elbow. He just flares his elbows out in front of his face and just goes, ah! Oh shit! <laughs> and it looks very funny. And there was none of that. Habib marched forward and just ate everything Gagey threw at him, and tried. He didn't like ate every shot. He did try to avoid them and, and shown, and has shown remarkable composure in the folk, in the pocket doing so. He ducked in, into the clinch. He ducked towards his uh, towards the hips, and generally every movement, every defensive movement, he's done served to further. Um, uh, his uh, goal of pressuring Gagey. It wasn't just something that he did like uh, as a, a knee-jerk reaction. He didn't spaz out. And uh, he nailed Gagey with some crisp one-twos, uh, one even, at, at uh, certain points of the second round, and the first round, for that matter. He didn't necessarily outstruck Gagey on the feet, which is... Uh, there was a bit of a controversy after the fight because uh, when the scorecards were released, uh, a couple of judges gave the first round to Gagey, which is, I think is a fair assessment of that first round because he connected with a lot of counters. And I think getting mad about, getting mad about this is a, a, bit, uh, a bit strange. Uh, maybe because it was uh, the visuals. Maybe whenever people see... A fighter backing away or going on the back foot. The general like perception amongst casuals is that oh, he's getting pushed back, he's losing, which is markedly not the case uh, in a lot of fights, especially if you watch the Tony uh, Justin fight where Justin spent the entire fight on the back foot and absolutely, absolutely mauled Tony. But yeah, to me, if anything, the only thing this only proves to me that. Uh, Habib is just incredibly tough as a human being. Just the man has a beard on him. That that's for certain. And I'm not talking about the literal beard he has, which, when you think about it, brings us uh, to another point about uh, the way Habib went about his career. Like for the longest time, for the for the entire duration of his career, uh, even though he was fairly hittable and very janky and wonky on the feet, he still took. Uh, Big steps towards preserving his uh, his um, mental faculties and health intact. Out of all AKA fighters, Habib is the the one who who is the most who is the most defensively minded. And I can't help but wonder if uh, his 
improved composure on the feet for this fight was uh, as a re was a result of him not spending any time at AKA for this fight. He trained uh, in his native Dagestan, which is a veritable shark tank on its own. And then he moved on to train in uh, the United Arab Emirates with his, uh, with his clique of friends, who are all fairly skilled in their own right. And I'd assume he brushed up on some of his grappling while he was there. And honestly, I'm wholly in support of that move. <laughs> But yeah, the thing about the thing about being defensively minded for most of your career, if you take less damage uh, over the course of your career, when the fight comes, when there comes a moment where you absolutely have to take damage in order to win the fight, then you have the chin for it, because you haven't been been uh, putting mileage on it, and so you know you can trust in it, which is something that people like. Uh, uh, say Robert Whittaker can no longer afford. Granted, his def granted Whittaker is amazingly defense uh, de defensively uh, capable in his own right, but he is much more offensively minded, uh, or at least it looks that way <laughs> uh, from where I'm standing now. But we're going to get into that later. But yeah, the thing about Gagey is that uh, most of his hair triggers for the counters are when when, when his opponent plants. And so, in order to trigger this, he would plant his feet uh, himself. And, like, that would uh, either startle his opponent or kind of give him the nod, give him the... It's about showing your opponent certain looks. Like, if you plant, uh, your opponent will plant, generally. That's uh, just how uh, human brains work. If you, uh, if you jab your opponent, you, uh, the natural response for your opponent would be to jab back. And Khabib prepared for this. Like, in that fight-winning sequence, uh, when Gagey planted, or even while Gagey was in the middle of planting, Khabib moved in with his jab, upset Gagey's balance and composure, baited the kick with his planted leg, granted he still had to take it, and uh, the kick damn well, damn near, took his, uh, cut his foot off, or snapped his leg in half, rather. Or at least if it uh, would have, if uh, Habib wasn't Habib. But he used the kick as uh, a setup for the takedown while Gagey was on his, was on uh, in the middle of resetting his uh, feet after throwing the kick. And as such, wasn't totally balanced, which made getting the takedown and uh, turning the corner that much easier. That was really great timing on uh, part of Habib. I mean, Gagey still has uh, really fast hips, and he still sprawled on that takedown, but uh, uh, that that's uh, when another one of uh, Habib's stronger points uh, shone through, which is his uh, chain wrestling and grappling. Since Gagey actually hadn't moved to secure the front headlock, uh, Habib had an easy time of uh, continuing to turn and uh, take uh, Gagey's back from where he... he moved for the finishing sequence. He went straight from the back into mount, secured the mounted triangle, and cinched in lightning quick, just like, just like that. Habib's triangle is legit. I mean, the squeeze on that choke. Gage didn't even really get the chance to tap, he just went to sleep. I mean, granted, he sort of 
facilitated <laughs> the going to sleep part by trying to slam Habib. But he was already knackered by that point. I mean, Gagey is strong, but uh, in that sort of position, but I, I mean, come on, man. Uh, but I suppose that's just uh, Justin being Justin. Uh, the man will never stop looking for offensive opportunities, even in uh, horrible positions, which is honestly what, which is sort of the uh, tale of the fight. Habib exploited Gagey's desire to counter every time, to his desire to plant and counter every time by uh, wearing him out, by constantly messing with it, with uh, his timing, by being by pressure uh, constantly and uh, putting the jab out there. What's more impressive is that the the most common uh, criticism from wrestling analysts such as uh, Ad Gallo for Habib were that he doesn't go for reactive doubles. He doesn't go for reactive takedowns so, at all, really. The only one he landed was, uh, was on Pat Healy way back when. And Healy was also in such an awful position that uh, even my grandma would have finished that double. But both takedowns that he got in this fight were the first one uh, was a reactive double and he nearly finished the fight from there and the second one he's got off the kick uh, is what uh, got him the win but yeah Gagey as uh, when it comes to Gagey he looked incredibly nervous uh, he looked honestly looked sort of shook which is a bit uncharacteristic of him Though, come, come to think of it, there were some moments in the Tony fight where, particularly in the second round when he, where he sta started swinging for the fences with every shot, and it's something Michael Chandler had pointed out in uh, his JRE appearance, is that it's, uh, it struck him as a, a sign of a, as, like a strange type of insecurity in Gagey. Like, he, he, like he isn't sure that he can win if he doesn't turn every fight into an absolute war. And that's why he decided to put the pace on, on Guy so often. Uh, uh, sometimes to his own detriment. So a style that warrants him, uh, that demands him to be sharp at all times, is, uh, I'd imagine it's going to be incredibly mentally taxing. And, I mean, changing your style so late into your career, so drastically, is generally a very mentally taxing thing. Because not only the psychological aspects of it are pretty hard, uh, it's also something that you drill over and over again. and something that you actually hardwire into your nervous system. These responses come quicker than, uh, than, your, than your actual thought. Add to this the fact that he was obviously very concerned about the takedown and that it was on his mind always throughout the fight from the beginning. And this sort of mindfulness uh, backfired because he generally overreacted to almost any uh, threat of um, any takedown threat that Khabib uh, uh, either had a, either attempted or faked. Gagey has done some great work in the clinch and defending some of the takedowns. By the way, that uh, I'm not saying that he, but that by overreacting, he uh, a strictly negative thing. A certain degree of urgency is always warranted. I'm just saying that he sort of overdid it. One particular sequence in the first round uh, struck me as uh, very, very exciting. When uh, Habib has uh, moved into the clinch and Gagey immediately posted his head on the, under Habib's head. 
in order to push him upwards and backwards and deny him the underhook because generally uh, conceding the underhook uh, to Khabib is uh, basically just a death sentence because uh, it's what allows him to secure the body lock and uh, fling you around afterwards. But this anxiousness uh, also uh, was also shown in the way he stood, which is uh, something that I've mentioned about his stance being very low, almost a wrestling stance. And like, there's a lot to be said about being comfortable in fights and uh, you know, feeling comfortable in fights. Because being uncomfortable is uh, what uh, gets you fatigued a lot of the time because you're not used to uh, doing these things, doing these things. Because, like, by standing so by fighting from such a crouched uh, stance, it uh, took a lot of power from Gage's shots, took a lot of a lot more energy from him because he threw incredibly energy inefficient, ex explosive, uh, basically clotheslines at times. I mean, just try to assume the same crouched uh, stance and then throw a, a leaping left hook from that stance and see what <laughs> what it does to your gas tank. Especially if you do it over and over again. There's also another layer to this because uh, Geiji uh, has stated multiple times that uh, wrestling and grappling is something that he doesn't feel comfortable doing and something that he doesn't like doing because he gets tired all the time. Some of it may be chalked up to uh, Geiji's uh, style being energy inefficient uh, generally because, as Ed Gala pointed out in his uh, heavy hands appearance, he does a lot of like uh, Calvin Gastelum-esque style rolling and uh, like funk rolls and fat man rolls. So Geiji looks cool in short bursts of uh, wrestling activity, but prolonged grappling exchanges is something that he actually uh, maybe uh, maybe it's something that gives him dread, gives him a feeling of uh, like someone takes a hold of him and doesn't let go. He just he just goes, oh fuck. Now I gotta do grappling. Aww. And so these factors pile on and on and on and on, and it's uh, what, in my opinion, has led uh, to Geiji gassing so fast. Like, genuinely, by the start of the second round, Geiji was absolutely knackered. He looked like uh, at the end of some of his uh, five-round brawls. Even against Palomino, he looked fresher. But yeah, there could... Uh, uh, you could make an argument that Gage's gas tank is generally kind of not it. Like, it's, it's just kind of shite. He's okay at fighting tired uh, a lot of the time, provided it's the right fight for him. It's just uh, honestly re very reminiscent of uh, Dustin Poirier's cardio. And Dustin Poirier's uh, mental fortitude in general. Like when Habib was on top of him, raining blows and moving for the choke, securing positions, riding him. Uh, Dustin's face uh, basically just screamed, fuck this, I don't like this, this sucks, I want out of here. And when uh, Dan Hooker was unloading with a hellacious combination of body shots and the ho hooks to the head, Dustin Dustin's entire reaction was essentially just, oh, come the fuck on then, let's go! So never underestimate the importance of comfort in any given fight. Which is generally just uh, what makes uh, Habib so great and so impressive is that even though for, the, for large stretches of his career 
He looked jumpy and nervous on the feet. That was primarily him uh, with his defensive reactions, which I assume AKA generally does a very poor job of drilling. But he was willing to throw down whenever uh, uh, the situation demanded it. I mean, there's a really funny, uh, there's a really funny quote-unquote highlight of Habib in his uh, early UFC run before the long layoff. Set to Roy Jones Jr.'s uh, infamous track, you know the one, which is a supercut of Habib jumping up and down, uh, throwing just whatever. Zero strikes landing on his opponent. But it's something that generally scared them away. Because, I mean, jank is a viable way of uh, making your opponent un- un- feel uneasy. And he's been steadily improving since then, since then, culminating in this performance. So, like, Habib already comes in uh, with a, an enormous grappling advantage. Just an entire area of the fight where he would be guaranteed to be more dominant than you. And better at it than you. And then you can't actually do any meaningful damage against him on the feet. Because he's insanely durable. Because he's been saving up all the durability for the entirety of his career. Despite at times looking like an idiot doing it. He's absolutely fearless. He's constantly moving forward, putting his hands on you unloading with some fairly decent strikes. Like I've said, some of the one-twos and some of the jab-kick combinations that uh, Habib landed on Gagey look rather respectable. And he comes in exploiting that um, inner conflict that you have with your two styles. Like, there were moments where Gagey just panicked and just kind of went, oh shit, what do I do? Do I, do, do I push the on switch now? Do I push it now? Do I push the... So I pushed the rip and tear button, and halfway through pushing the button, he kind of uh, got cold feet, and it's like, oh fuck, oh fuck, no, not now, it's it's only the, the the first round, it's only the second round. And so he kept throwing these awkward swinging strikes, sort of a weird, inefficient midway point between the old wild man clotheslines and uh, crisp counters, a lot of which he actually whiffed on. And when you swing that way, when you swing that hard and you miss, it tires you out way more than if you connect. And Habib's entire approach capitalized on this and secured the win for him. I suppose there's only so many ways I can say that Habib uh, fought his fight brilliantly and Gagey kind of uh, fell apart, which is something a lot of uh, Habib's opponents do. I mean, you could also say that in MMA, where there there can be fights where there there are so many unknowns about uh, each fighter's skill sets, that the only thing you can do before the fight is just guess. Leveraging these unknowns in an intelligent ways becomes way more important than in any other combat sport. That's why this threat of the takedown thing is a is you know a thing. It's something Gagey actually used to do uh, for mo- for most of his career which is something that's been dispelled now. Although I suppose any other grappler and slash wrestler of that is uh, not of Habib's caliber is going to have a wholly unpleasant time trying to replicate Habib's win. But yeah, Gagey uh, has long used uh, his uh, wrestling credentials 
uh, in order to keep uh, his opponent standing with him, uh, his actual area of strength. And Habib has exploited uh, the fear of the takedown extremely well for the, for his for the entirety of his career as well, uh, which allowed him to sort of mask most of his uh, weak spots. And if that's not intelligent, then I don't know what is. <sighs> I suppose this um, uh, this uh, episode is sounds and uh, my vo- voice sounds a bit so- more somber than usual. Well, that's because uh, the uh, aftermath of the the outcome of the event was a bit bittersweet. Habib's best career win, punctuated by strategic tactical brilliance and uh, the human element, quickly followed up with his uh, announcement that he's going to retire for good. I mean, it just sort of bums me out because I would, I would have really loved to see more of that, Khabib. I would really love to see more, more clever game planning from Habib. Uh, more. Well, when you think about it, there's really no one else uh, left for Habib aside from maybe, aside from maybe Michael Chandler, who offers an interesting challenge in that his uh, his wrestling is something he actually uses a lot. It's just. A monstrous athlete, strong as an ox, and actually good in wrestling exchanges. But, you know, uh, the credibility for fans is not there. No one watches Bellator, no one knows what Chandler actually uh, is good at, and no one understands style matchups, least of all the UFC matchmakers. But yeah, a lot of uh, our works regarding Habib was... Uh, uh, dedicated to myth-busting. I don't think he's unbeatable. I don't think anyone is unbeatable. He still has some noticeable gaps in his game. And I mean, everyone does. It's just something that's... Uh, uh, that's uh, something that's made particularly annoying by fans online, which uh, uh, is a demographic that we have to frequently interact with, and generally these interact- interactions... And negatively. And there's always this uh, push to find uh, holes in the game of a dominant champion. Because, I mean, you want to see the champion uh, fight against good good competition that understands uh, their own strengths and the weaknesses uh, of the champion. Because what we actually want is interesting competitive fights. You want to see your champion tested. And uh, in this case, I think Justin Gagey did an excellent job of doing exactly that. Habib had to show tactical efficacy, strategic acumen, sheer toughness, and strength of character. And he passed the test with flying colors. Securing his place as a genuine all-time great fighter. I wish we could have seen more of him, but uh, the man's decision is a man's decision. And you have to respect his conviction. The general thing that uh, annoyed me, I suppose, not it's it wasn't that. It, it's not that uh, Habib has annoyed me for, for most of his career, even though you might think that way from reading my uh, Twitter timeline. It's the fans' perception of him. Western fans has a weird habit of fetishizing anyone that's not from the U.S. or Brazil. 
Like to me, Habib was always just uh, just a normal guy, just uh, your run of the mill, if a bit more, bit more educated, more worldly type of person that uh, I see every day in my everyday life. And Westerners generally uh, have a habit of painting him as that, as this uh, noble savage, a savage killer mountain man that came down from the frigid caves at the peaks of the Caucasus. And when they see Dagestanis or Chechens running around uh, the hills and uh, mountains, just doing simple jogging exercises and uh, all that stuff, they just kind of the commentaries are flooded with Americans going, "Oh, these people are just built different." And it would be fine if they didn't actually like disregard learning. It, it would be fine if they actually bothered to learn about the cultures of uh, the fighters that they. Uh, simp so hard for like this thing with uh, oh a Russian fighter he's a Russian 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 all of them Russians a Russian fighter means a hard man a hard stoic man and if you actually bothered learning about uh, Habib's culture you'd know that he's actually an Avar and not you know an ethnic Russian so his uh, he has certain cultural differences. His cultural background has is very different from your normal, normal, I suppose, white Russians. Like there's a a certain like there isn't such a distinction in the English language, but in Russian there are two different words for Russian citizen, as in your nationality, and uh, uh, Russian as in your origin, which is Russianin uh, or Russianka. The feminine, the masculine and feminine equivalents, respectively, and Ruski Ruskaya, which is your origin, masculine and feminine, respectively. And you know the amount of hate that uh, Habib receives on the Russian internet and in Russian media in general would uh, astound a lot of people because Russia, on average, is an extremely racist country to the point where people from the Caucasus are considered to be. Black. Yes, that's right. That's what they are called. That's what they are called by racist Russians. And women who enter relationships with uh, people from the Caucasus are called, wait for it, inkwells. As in a jar that uh, is filled with ink that you paint, that you write and paint with. Mm-hmm. I guess my general point is that uh, if you want to. If you idolize the man so much, uh, at least bother uh, trying to learn about him as a person and not just assume from his origins uh, and what what he looks like under media scrutiny. And Habib is very... Uh, I don't know if, it's, uh, if he received specialized media training or it's just him being extremely diplomatic in general. I think it's. I, I lean to more towards the latter. And the treatment he's uh, received from uh, from Western media is just something that uh, personally made me angry on Habib's behalf. And if he lost, the Russian media would have eviscerated him. Especially the Russians on social media. So, you know, uh, playing into this uh, noble savage stereotype is uh, basically, I think, in my eyes, is no better than 
than the treatments uh, people from the Caucasus receive uh, in Russian Federation proper. So I hope that uh, in his retirement people will get more of a chance to see him from a side that is not fetishized. People would finally stop uh, looking at him as uh, this usual stupid MMA type of stuff that, uh, oh, he's a modern gladiator, a modern mountain uh, raider that's found an outlet for his warrior instinct. It's a sport, and Habib is an athlete. He's an incredible athlete. He's a great athlete. And he's also a human. With all that entails. But yeah, I suppose uh, all I have to say about the matter in the end is uh, thank you once again, Habib, for for the incredible, for your incredible run. For all the entertainment you've brought to your fans. And giving us this, I suppose, era in sporting history that we will look back on and uh, write retrospectives about, uh, rave to our friends, and have endless pointless debates over. (laughs) By the way, good on Gagey for comforting Habib after he broke into tears after winning the fight. Very genuine, very emotional moment that uh, it's just a reminder that uh, these fighters uh, like there's a general trend with MMA fans and combat sports fans the world over to and particularly MMA fans to be honest to treat fighters as uh, uh, like sort of like these rock and sock and robots like the amount of online hate some of these people receive over simply expressing themselves is just, uh, I mean, it's just disgusting. Let's call it what it is. So hopefully that served as a reminder to some of these people that these are real human beings uh, leaving their health in there. Shaving off years of happy, healthy lives they might have led for your entertainment. Uh, I'm turning a bit... Uh, I sound a bit, too, a, a bit too downbeat for my tastes, honestly. <laughs> I'm not usually this way. <laughs> I don't usually sound this way, and uh, I'm not usually like this, so I suppose a bit of a break is warranted. I'm going to take uh, some time off, and then I'll return with a Robert Whittaker versus Jared Cannonier recap. Honestly, an awe-inspiring performance from Robert Whittaker. Really looking forward to talking about that one, so stay tuned. Be back in a bit.
I've had some tea, I've had some buns. That would hopefully go into my buns and not my gut. Still having the tea, in fact. Now, where were we? Oh, that's right. Bobbert got his leg naked again, so he had to rely on his... Uh... Sit, sit, sif, sif, safety, lea, safety leads. Uh, counter, pu, counter punching. Feints? Fakis? No, that doesn't sound right. Uh, Finds. Oh. Finds. Finds. Oh yeah, those ones. But yeah, in all honesty, uh, I got really worried when uh, Jared started opening up with leg kicks and uh, Robert's only response was to... Uh, but yeah, uh, in all seriousness, the fight didn't really uh, go in that uh, way exactly. There is some nuance to that. That's my uh, favorite word, by the way, nuance. I feel like I'm going to be saying this word for the next, I don't know, 10 years. However many years I'm going to uh, make this show. Yeah, I'm sorry for assuming uh, my listeners have, uh, I don't know, short-term memory loss, but uh, we're going to discuss Jared Cannonier versus Robert Whittaker now. Or Robert Whittaker versus Jared Cannonier. Uh, who gives a shit? The old uh, crafty veteran, the old crafty 29-year-old veteran Robert Whittaker versus the new hotness, the new generation of uh, the... Uh, the exemplar of the new generation of uh, middleweights, the <laughs> the 36-year-old Jared Cannonier. Jared, the killer gorilla Cannonier. I don't know why he doesn't call himself Jared the Cannon, but uh, what do I know? Or as my friends call him, Jared Cannonier. <laughs> that was positively nerve-wracking. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I love you, Rob, but what the fuck? <laughs> Every single fight Rob has, I always feel like incre this incredible, like sense of anxiousness. Like I, I'm buzzing in my seat. I'm <laughs> basically vibrating whenever, <laughs> whenever he comes out. I mean, Rob has a like a, a remarkable tendency to make any fight that much uh, tougher for him. It's like. It's like he has some sort of performance anxiety that uh, whenever he gets, uh, whenever he starts performing too well, he always needs to throw his opponent some kind of bone to latch on to and damn near knock him out. And this was no exception, though, uh, when you think about it, uh, not really through any fault uh, of Rob's, because he looked fantastic throughout. Like little things, I would uh, I would want to rectify, but that's the case with uh, Bobby uh, in all his fights. But yeah, he didn't blitz, uh, didn't blitz much uh, 
at least. His right hand didn't come from way the other side of the octagon. He didn't look like a uh, Greek disc thrower in there, and for that I'm grateful. Not the entire time, at least. The jab was there all night, just a lovely jab. A lovely timing on that jab. And some lovely weight transfer on that jab, because Cannoneer's right eye was... Uh, Damn near licking out of his skull by the end of the uh, by the end of the fight. The leg kicks were a concern, as uh, most of us had su- uh, had suspected. But uh, as the fight went on, Rob didn't really allow Kananiya to kick for free. He would check a handful of them, and then on most of them he would uh, push forward, push through them with the jab, on some other strikes. Really, this was sort of an intermediate performance uh, when you take into account how I would like to see Rob fight and how he generally actually fights. Like, I would really, really like for him to uh, stop being a karate boxer and just become, you know, a boxer. And that's generally the case with all aging fighters, you know. Uh, Kind of weird to call a 29-year-old man aging, but that's what uh, my age uh, that's what fight mileage does to you. Knackmires tend to be knackered by the time they turn 24. 30s, by all rights, like uh, literally ancient in fight terms. So as he ages, I would really like for him to start relying more, more on his uh, safety leads, like the, like the straight kicking, uh, the jab, of course, the volume jab, the hurting volume jab his feints that um, as the fight went on every little jitter that uh, every little jittery movement that uh, Rob had made uh, made Kananir almost jump out of his shorts that hat kick was money the 1-1-2 was even more money and it was, uh, the 1-1-2 is what allowed him to actually land the hat kick and honestly, that ref was uh, a bit slow in the uptake. I mean, Cannoneer is as tough as they come, but uh, that was a bad knockdown. And some wonky decision-making from Rob as well. Because uh, really, when you have your opponent this hurt, and you're not, like, <laughs> not, you know, Habib, punch them in the head until they give out. Uh, yeah, as always, uh, Rob got um, wobbled in the end. By a strike that wasn't particularly, you know, uh, that didn't look like something that should put you on roller skates, but regardless, it still did. I can't re- exactly recall if Rob was the one who walked into that uh, shot. I think it was a like a something of a like a jab slash uh, lead straight. Like I forgot to say this. <laughs> like I forgot to put a disclaimer in the beginning of the podcast. I was. Almost blackout drunk by the time the fight started, by the time the main event started and uh, the main card. I have been up since 8am till 6am for that day. And I started drinking at, uh, I think it was at 6pm. So I kept drinking for almost 12 hours and uh, I've had my birthday. Uh, I celebrated my birthday uh, the day before that, so uh, <laughs> I got almost blackout drunk on that day as well. 
I honestly have no idea how I managed to watch the fights and actually understand what's happening in front of me. Much less make any reads. Or like, uh, you know, make takeaways. Have take have any takeaways after the fights. Because I was... Fucked. Absolutely hammered. I think all the doom and gloom in the beginning of the podcast was because I was uh, <laughs> I was just feeling the after effects of my hangover uh, combined with sleep deprivation. But, you know, that's how it be on this bitch of an earth. But yeah, regarding the wonky stuff from Rob, uh, I'd really like for him to stop uh, throwing these right hands like he, he wants to... Like, it, but a lot of the right hands he threw looked like they, he was actively trying to, consciously trying to prevent himself from springing forward on every single one. And as such, a lot of them missed. And the moment that he, uh, like, took a step back mentally and allowed himself to sort of relax into his stance and uh, uh, let the hip lead before the hand, like he... Uh, kept the hand glued to his face until he actually sprung his hips forward and that allowed the hand to just whip uh, into Kananir's face. That's uh, That was when he really hurt Kananir with that one one two, which was gorgeous, by the way. Almost like a Soviet long one one two that uh, uh, you may find on YouTube. Uh, uh, you, may have, you may find instructions on how to do it on YouTube by searching for uh, Alexei Frolov's Alexei Frolov's uh, School of Boxing F-R-O-L-O-V like the thing with that particular uh, combination is that you actually use it actually uses springing motions but uh, the key to this the key to nailing this particular combination is to let your hips lead the way and uh, sort of like forget about your hands for a moment and this springing motion where you stamp your feet and turn your hips would uh, uh, spring forward to your shoulder, which would which then turns in order to protect your chin, which is exactly how uh, Robert generally uh, does with his jab. And then the hand whips forward in a sort of a corkscrew motion. Like, it's still a straight shot. It looks kind of loopy, but in fact, the hand still travels on a straight line. But uh, because of the corkscrew motion, there's a sort of a, like a, a whipping effect for this punch. And so he launched himself forward, uh, landed the first jab, then landed the second jab by turning his hips, and then turned his uh, back hip forward, and then his hand whipped into Kananir's face right on the point of the chin. Astonishing that it didn't put him out immediately. Because, you know, generally Kananir struggles uh, with, uh, like, chin issues. But, you know, chins are weird like that. And he also fought much bigger men, much uh, more powerful men. And it's more of a speed combination that uses your weight transfer rather than, you know, uh, torque. Like your typical Western-style combinations generally use. With the torso providing the torque and increasing power uh, while sacrificing some of the range. Well, yeah, that's when uh, explosive movements are warranted, in my opinion, from the from the bounce. It kind of really this karate bounce that he does really reminds me of the Soviet pendulum step, like this 
uh, pendulum step lends you inertia that you can use that you can then use in order to ma manipulate your rhythm. Like uh, generally, you would bounce in as like a, an even rhythm like this. And when you do a foot feint, you accelerate. And then when you actually step in, then you can then feed this sort of rhythm to your opponent. Like you lull him, you lull your opponent into this even rhythm while while bouncing. Maybe a little bit quicker. That depends. And then you either slow it down or you accelerate it. That's what Robert does, and this is why I don't agree with some of my colleagues that uh, claim that the only thing, um, the only way he can fight now is uh, through the blitz. He employs a pendulum step, and he it, it can it can be tied to your boxing skills. Soviet and Eastern European boxers have uh, used uh, this sort of pendulum step for generations. The only thing Robert has to do is uh, kind of dial his explosiveness back a little. And this is something that has to do uh, as, um, like, we, we've had a little bit of a discussion and preparation for this fight with uh, Hacks. And um, he pointed out that in Australian training, there's, uh, like, with this thing that Robert, Robert's thing for the longest time was that he was severely overtrained for most of his fights. And the gym culture is that, the gym culture is that uh, a lot of um, athletes uh, overtrain on... Uh, Particularly explosive exercises. Like the thing with explosive exercises is that you have to like, uh, you have to do, you have to vary your exercises. You have to do one type of strength exercise, like uh, something like something slower, like a deadlift, in order to increase your overall stability and strength. Maybe something for reps to um, to work on your. Uh, to work on, to work on offsetting the lactic acid buildup, and then in short uh, bursts, because it's an explosive movement, it requires a particular type of, uh, it's a specific type of strength, explosive strength, and you do some of it, but you don't do it all the time because, uh, because it gives you this sort of muscle memory, and explosive movements are very energy, and they're very taxing on your body. And they're where the explosive movements wear you out much quicker than other types of movement. And so Australian athletes would uh, do explosive training all the time, four reps, and you'd have to assume that uh, this is something that Rob does, or at least used to. And that's why he's got this uh, sort of muscle memory, and his uh, body is used to explosive movements, because he constantly does them in training. Like you, you can see it in the way he fought Cannoneer. It's kind of he has to actually actively uh, think about fighting uh, against that that's, uh, that ingrained desire to just spring forward. And that's what generally got him clattered against fighters like uh, uh, Romero or Adesanya in particular, because these movements put him badly out of position. And that's true for. All of fighting generally, like as long as you stay on, uh, uh, as long as you stay balanced and within your stance over your feet, you can absorb shocks to the head uh, much more efficiently. It's still not ideal to absorb them, but uh, you know, if you have to, 
And if you have no choice but to absorb the impact of uh, the strike, might as well do it correctly. I mean, you generally also have to assume that the uh, robot finds under a lot of stress, which is something he talked about. And like, uh, I'd have to come back to the Gage fight again. Uh, in uh, in the Habib versus Gage fight, Gage uh, was extremely uh, anxious because he was on a hair trigger to counter. He was on a, on a hair trigger to counter wrestling and to counter punch. And when you're being fed a lot of information and you're on a hair trigger, it uh, tends to fatigue you mentally, especially if your opponent is pressuring. And so, like, Rob is under uh, under a lot of stress a lot of the time, and uh, he's on a hair trigger to spring forward with uh, strikes and uh, let, uh, let loose with offense. And now that he's been knocked out uh, and uh, wobbled and put on his ass in a devastating fashion due to his blitzes, he's also extremely anxious about uh, blitzing as well, so the blitzes come off as sloppy. It's kind of a weird thing that happens with a lot of fighters, like uh, whenever you get knocked out, whenever some fighters get knocked out and they become afraid of the fact that they can get knocked out and realize that their chin isn't all there anymore, they start uh, relying on these one-shot punches, one-shot power punches that would Put his uh, put their opponents away uh, as fast as possible. Instead of st- staying safe and uh, staying defensively responsible, uh, because I suppose there's a bit of a uh, bit of a fear that the longer the fight goes, the more of a chance, uh, the more the chance that you can get knocked out down the stretch. And I believe it's um, uh, the same sort of problem that uh, Bobby struggles with. And I sincerely hope that uh, the fact that he got wobbled at the end isn't going to put it uh, in his head that, oh, well, I've, I've done my best fighting safely, but I still got wobbled. I guess back to the blitz it is again. I would hate that direction. Well, I suppose getting the win, a uh, fairly dominant win, would be enough for him to... Uh, you know, realize that this is the way to go. Staying safe and relying on your counter-punching is the way to go. Because Robert was always uh, really good uh, with this um, uh, sort of out in the open, uh, out uh, kickboxing in the center of the octagon. There were some dangerous moments from uh, Cannoneer, though, in particular, when um, uh, late in the fight he realized like that, uh, well... Uh, he's down 2-1 to one. fuck it time to press forward and then he started stalking Robert like um, he moved he deliberately moved forwards at him and uh, tried to cut off some of his escape routes and came close to landing some really damaging blows on Robert so uh, all in all it's uh, an amazing win for Robert really heartwarming if a bit alarming as so is it's uh, Always the case with Bobson. Like the general path to victory we saw with our prediction pieces, particularly Hacks and uh, uh, Sriram and, uh, well, most of the guys, is that uh, if uh, Cannoneer starts hacking at the leg and then stalks forward and pressures, then uh, Bobby's, Bobby's not going to have a good time. But thankfully, the crafty, smart Bobbert 
with uh, amazing counter punching, great jab, and uh, great fainting game that relies on technique has won in the end. Conversely, though, I don't really know what to do for Robert going forward. I mean, like, uh, what's there to do for him at middleweight? I don't think he's beating easy anytime soon if uh, the rematch happens, and I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to see that fight really. I already saw it playing out. If uh, if they, I reckon if Robert stays um, uh, stays safe and tries to counter punch, Easy just walks him down and blasts him with kicks and into oblivion. Especially since Easy is becoming uh, way better. Like he's shown glimpses of being extremely good in the lead when he started walking down Costa at some point. Markedly, uh, markedly better in the in the pocket as well. Even better than when he knocked Robert out. Romero's on a two-fight losing streak and I don't want to see Robert Romero 3 for the vacant belt. That would be stupid. I suppose a Costa fight would be interesting. Like, um... Uh... Funnily enough, looking back, the general consensus about uh, the matchups was that Costa is an easier matchup for Robert, while... Uh, being more dangerous for Easy, and now I think it's the opposite. Winner of Ham Manson Till. Mm. Till had already lost to Whitaker, and if Ham Manson wins, he got uh, Cannoneer knocked him out. Everything seems like a step back. Middleweight sucks right now. <laughs> I gotta tell you, Easy and Robert just cleaned everyone out. Well, if uh, Israel is uh, serious about moving out, then I guess uh, we'll see when he actually moves out. I would really like for Robert to get some shine again. On, to actually receive shine for once, because when he was, uh, when he was champion, uh, the, amount of, uh, unwarranted, uh, the amount of unwarranted hate that he received for being inactive was just borderline obscene. The man was injured, okay? Give him a break. <sighs> Regardless, good on Rob. Great to finally see him in good form. Even though there are still, like, major durability issues and major uh, durability concerns going forward. Haven't seen the post-fight interviews yet and post-fight uh, press conference statements, but um, I'm sure they, they were... I'm sure they were lovely, because Rob is a lovely man. Even though he likes a lot of, like, a lot of the games he likes are shite. I'm sorry, Fallout 4 and Fallout 76 are not real Fallout games. Liking Doom is okay, liking Doom I can support, but liking all other Bethesda products, I mean, come on, man. You're better than that. <sighs> what else we had on that card? Poor Walt Harris got kicked uh, in the solar plexus and uh, Tiki owed by Alexander Volkov. Alexander Volkov. Or, as my grandpa likes to call him, a fucking slow-ass moron. Uh, a moniker that he's given him in the wake of his uh, Derek Lewis knockout. I generally watch fights with my granddad whenever they're, whenever they're um, broadcasted on uh, live television. 
but sometimes I also watch streams with him. And uh, sometimes, well, to those of you who don't know, my grandfather was uh, one of the first high-level combat sambo wrestlers from my region, Buretia, that is. And he was one of the first, I suppose, all-Soviet-level uh, wrestlers uh, in, uh, in Buretia. So, needless to say, he's got a lot of high-level competition experience. What uh, struck me as uh, particularly funny is that he, he's had a better read on the matchup uh, for the main event than 99% of people you, you, could, <laughs> you meet online. Because the man actually understands fighting, you know, because he, he's fought himself. Well, wrestled himself, but uh, he's had a lot of experience in uh, old-timey scraps in the streets of Olanode. What he said was uh, basically just... If this uh, if this lad just engages such a like a scrappy, uh, if such as if he's such a scrappy brawler, then he he he, he has to turn the fight into a brawl in order to have a uh, any shot of winning. No, I think he was right. <laughs> uh, he said a really good laugh at uh, when I translated the post fight interview that they that they've taken from Geiji in the aftermath of the fight, where he said that, well, I, at least I got choked out. At least I didn't get beat up, you know. A choke loss isn't a knockout. You just go to sleep. <laughs> and my granddad found that really funny. He he said, <laughs> he said like, uh, this is a good approach to have, <laughs> a good attitude to have for a, for a fighter. Can't argue with that, you know. I skipped the early prelims and I skipped uh, the women's uh, flyweight fight, as well as most of the uh, uh, the light heavyweight, most of the light heavyweight bout between Dong Jung and uh, Sam Alvey. I mean, fucking imagine going to a draw with Sam Alvey. I'm sorry, Dong Jung, but into the bin you go. All in all, uh, a fairly run-of-the-mill card, like. Um, not in, nothing special really, aside from the historic main event and uh, a decent co-main. And moving forward, what do we got? October thirty-first, twenty twenty, next week. Hall versus Silver. Ugh. Well, I guess it has Bobby Green. It's got that going for it. And right after that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the return of the king Diago Santos versus Glover Teixeira this is a fight <laughs> a lineal light heavyweight champion Diago Santos <laughs> Diego uh, the Hammer Santos Macheta you know what Santos really needs in this fight to to uh, to really you know what Santos really needs to move uh, move up a level to get to a new level it's two Machetas gotta tell you it feels pretty terrific if you've never held two of anything in your hands starting with knives and ending with axes, like uh, in that funny 
That's funny. He have a photo from his uh, from his uh, from when he was a teenager. He's got these two like carpentry axes in his hands. <laughs> it honestly, looks hilarious. Looks like a guy I used to know in my village. All right, this is turning into chaos. <laughs> I can't stay on topic. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty more to examine about these fights that I haven't touched on, uh, various topics that I still haven't touched on regarding these fights. I'm sure, I'm, uh, I know for a fact that uh, Aiden, uh, the fight site's very own Aiden Hayes, is working on a recap for the event, or at least for the Gagey, for the Habib Gagey fight. He wrote, uh, in the preparation for this fight, he wrote a breakdown of uh, Habib's cage wrestling. I highly recommend... God damn it. I highly recommend you go back and read that, because it's incredible. He goes really in-depth, explains everything in, a, in an easy-to-understand format. And if you previously thought that uh, Habib's wrestling is something like... something ephemeral and unknowable and out of this world, or like... all sorts of... All sorts of uh, hyperbole. Read his article, and then you'll understand it. Maybe it'll make watching his. Uh, maybe it'll make revisiting Habib's fights um, that much more interesting. Because sadly, we're probably never going to see anything like this ever again. At least from the man himself. You know. You know how it is with these things. You never really. Cherish, uh, cherish them while you have them, which is really something that Habib himself had said, like uh, with regards to his, with regards to the time he has with his parents. Yeah, <clears throat> go out there and hug your mum, if she's a good mum, that is. Maybe also hug your dad. Stay tuned for the next week's. Uh, stay tuned for next week's. Um, Fight Sides MMA podcast with Denny and Sriram. They're probably going to have a lot more to say about the fights because they won't actually go on tangents like I do all the time. Ed and Sriram also recorded an alternate commentary track for the event uh, that's on our Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash fightside. And for as little as uh, $3 per month, you can gain access to essentially all of the stuff we released at this point. Uh, if you're sick and tired of hearing uh, the UFC booth uh, hype everyone up, uh, regardless of talent, or just prattle on about uh, random shit, uh, <laughs> subscribe to our Patreon and uh, get commentary tracks like the one uh, Adam Sreon had uh, recently recorded. There's also a bit of a post-fight post-fight discussion, uh, like I suppose, uh, really very early preliminary analysis um, or like a vivisection right after the fact. Uh, we're also writing a post-fight uh, roundtable discussion uh, where we uh, discuss the topic of Habib's pound-for-pound uh, -pound, uh, greatest of all time status. All arguments for and against are going to be in that piece. Uh, stay tuned for that. Ryan also live-tweeted for the duration of the event uh, with some um, quick insights in what was happening. Check out our page on uh, Twitter. Uh, 
Check out Bavada for a $250 signing bonus. Please bet responsibly. Check out Hyperfly for all your grappling and combat sports needs. Take a look at ExpressVPN's services, because protecting your personal data these days is extremely important. And ExpressVPN provides exactly that. And check out our articles at uh, thefightsite.com. That is uh, thefight-site.com. Your one-stop shop for all things combat. With that out of the way, uh, I suppose... Yeah, this one turned out to be way longer than uh, my previous episodes. Uh, At least uh, uh, two times as long, I think. I still need to catch up on that that second Q&A episode. Because you know, the, those questions were just sort of piled up, and uh, because of the fights, because of the big fights that uh, have been happening this month, uh, I haven't had the time to actually like get around to answering them. By the way, if you want to ask me uh, uh, like uh, certain questions that warrant a separate episode or like uh, episode suggestions, I have a Discord server that um, uh, it costs five dollars per month to join it. You actually, of course, you get all the benefits of uh, like uh, Patreon access, all that. You also get the chance to chat with uh, some really interesting and funny and, and insightful people that um, uh, sort of share the vibe with us in terms of uh, where they stand to, with relation to combat analysis and fights. There's a chat for wrestling, a chat for kickboxing, a chat for Muay Thai boxing and uh, of course a general MMA chat where you can can talk shit about whatever really fun place and of course you can also uh, ask me questions because that is the surest way to like to ensure that I'm going to actually make a separate episode answering your personal questions or not personal unless I really really like you I'm still planning and still uh, haven't got around to adding a Q&A section, a short Q&A section at the end of each episode. But uh, if you want me, if you have a short question and uh, want me to answer it, uh, like uh, like you, if you're fine with a short answer, then uh, feel free to leave a comment. Uh, but yeah, this sort of like, um, uh, the reason why I started the show initially was to have uh, this sort of like, long-form discussions about the fights like where I go really in depth because uh, with some of the like uh, the in a discussion format in a discussion format I don't I feel like uh, I need to to contribute to the flow of the conversation and so some of the things that I really really want to say go uh, left unsaid this is why this thing exists (laughs) and not because I like the sound of my voice well maybe a little but yeah, cherish the time we still have uh, to enjoy our favorite fighters. They're not going to be in the game forever. Cherish the time you have with your loved ones and your parents and your family, your friends, your acquaintances, your maybe even your enemies. Because I don't know about you, but I'm going to miss the time. Uh, when I still had the motivation to spite someone, <laughs> because spite, you know, as you know, as I have said already in uh, the second episode, spite is a powerful motivator. And this is why combat sports are as fun as they are. 
especially if we get a pair of fighters that uh, whose rivalry brings out the best out of them uh, in the octagon and in the ring, though sadly not necessarily not necessarily in life in general. Kiss your mums, kiss your dads, kiss your brothers, kiss your sisters. Not in a weird way. Look in the mirror and kiss your guns. <laughs> like, like I assume John Jones does. <laughs> Whenever he actually sees someone like with a bigger follower count than him or someone receives more attention than him, which is something that he did recently after the fight because when... <laughs> uh, I'm never going to end this podcast, am I? Like, Joan Jones is so funny. Like, uh, uh, people said that Habib is uh, the greatest lightweight of all time. Like, he's so great. And then Joan Jones immediately came out saying that, oh, he's got 15 title defenses. Oh, he's uh, the actual, like, greatest of all time in MMA. The man is such an attention whore. I swear to God. Yeah, don't be like Joan Jones. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for, like, almost an hour and a half, I suppose, which is going to be after I edit this down somewhat. Thank you for bearing with me. Hope you cherish the time we spent together. <laughs> because I'm also not going to be here forever. Because this is where I end this show. Dahin, Ozatra, Beirte.